And we'll turn to the book of Jude again this morning. Jude, starting with verse 8. You know, the encouraging thing about that is some of those kids learned that for the first time, that Jesus died for their sin. That's what we're here for. And that's why we put all the effort into reaching the the young people with with the gospel message there. And I don't know about you, but that took a lot of courage for those two kids. (laughs) You can be a scary bunch to look at. (laughs) And yet they were willing to, to share that. Okay, Jude, begin with verse 8 this morning. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh, reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare to pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, By these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and for pay have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. We'll stop with that for this morning. Some of you are old enough to remember that that, that comic strip that was more of a satire than a comic strip, and in it there was a character by the name of Pogo. Some of you remember it. I I racked my brain this week trying to think what was the name of the comic strip. It was what? Pogo. Was that the actual name of it? Okay. I thought it may have gone by another name. But in it, Pogo is discussing a problem with some of his friends. And he came up with that statement, we have met the enemy and they are us. And uh, that is the danger that we have been looking at in the little book of Jude. Many times the danger is not somebody outside of the church, but they've crept into the church. And we call that apostasy, a departure from the truth today. That's why Jude was writing. He was calling us to contend for the faith. Last week we looked at God's judgment upon those who fail to believe him those who rebel against him and those who live a perverted lifestyle. Unfortunately, Jude says, some of those have crept into the church itself. How do we recognize apostasy? What can we expect as as we see it? Well, Jude continues that theme. We'll look at that this week and again next week. But uh, he reveals to us, first of all, the conduct of the apostles. Notice that little phrase that he uses there in verse 8. He said, in the same way, or if you have the King James Version, it's in the same manner there. What, what is he saying in that? I think he's tying what was going on in the first century church back to what had gone on in the Old Testament times. And what he is actually saying is, you know what? We have the same problems today that they had back then. Solomon, I think, nailed it for us in the book of Ecclesiastes when he said there is nothing new under the sun. The problems that Jude was facing was faced by the children of Israel many centuries before Jude came on the scene, and they are problems that we wrestle with today. You ever wonder why God allowed so many failures to be recorded in Scripture? In 
Romans chapter 15, verse 4, he speaks of the fact that the things that were written before were written for what? For our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. If God was able to work in that time and that age with these problems, then we should be encouraged to realize that God is able to work today. We have the same God, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we don't come and and face this with that sense of fear and doom and dread. We come encouraged to, to recognize that just as God was able to act in the past, God is able to step in and act today. And so we, we celebrate that fact in a sense. But he notice he starts out by using that little word, these men by dreaming. They were dreamers. Now, there, there's nothing wrong with dreams. Just as long as you don't tell me your dream. My, my wife has learned a long time ago not to say, do you want to hear my dream Because my stock answer is, no, I don't want to hear your dream. I have enough trouble with reality. I I don't want to wrestle with your dreams and and, uh, the the problems I may have caused in your dreams. Uh, I'll deal with today, thank you. Uh, So so don't come to me with your dreams. Uh, But that's not the word that he's using here. He's not talking about that kind of dream, nor is he talking about the kind of dreams that we have in the Old Testament where God came in a dream and spoke to people and gave him his word and and revealed uh, the the future and so forth in those dreams. That's an entirely different word that that is used there. The word that he uses literally means to have a confused state of mind, to have an abnormal imagination. Now, you've got to be careful with that one because I know some of you have some vivid imaginations. That's not necessarily what he's talking about. The key there is the abnormal part. It's a denial of reality. It's a delusion. And that comes from many sources today. Sometimes it's a mental issue. Uh, Sometimes it's drug-related. We we get on drugs and, and we get to having delusional thinking there. Sometimes it's a moral issue. Sometimes it's just simply that we have deluded ourselves. We, we, we have, uh, uh, give you an example of that. I know some of you here have deluded yourself into thinking that mayonnaise is either good for you or else uh, it, it has some value in it. Uh, that, that's just a state of denial and, and delusion there. Uh, it, uh, it, uh, but we live with that delusional world today and it affects our thinking. In Romans chapter 1, Beginning in verse 21, Paul reveals the fact that when they knew God, they what? They glorified him not as God. They knew better than that, but they were dreamers. They, they, their reality was not real to them. They, they were in a world of, of delusion there. And he presents three delusional patterns here, three things that we have to guard against today. First of all, he said they defiled the flesh. And sooner or later, most false teachers have problems in that area. Sooner or later, they either have a, a moral failure uh, in the sexual area or in the financial area. Both of those two are danger points for, for false teachers. Uh, uh, 
remember watching a documentary on some of our TV evangelists and a, a, a very well-known one. I won't mention his name this morning, but uh, somebody had gone behind the scenes with a hidden camera. And it was time for the men to count the offering. And they actually photographed them. The men were taking all of the $50 bills, put them in their pocket. Because they had been told that that was their reward for the day, for counting the money. There was no accountability there. And that so often happens with some of our big-name evangelists and so forth is nobody knows their private life. And they can get diluted. They can get off base so so easy there. Peter warns about that in Second Peter chapter 2 where he says many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. And then he goes on in that same passage in verse 10 to say that uh, they will indulge the flesh. And the end result of that comes out of verse 18. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity they entice by fleshly desires by sensuality those who barely escape from the ones who live in error there. And so that's what he is dealing with here. It is those who have chosen a path of defilement, have chosen to walk contrary to the, the word of God. And I think we see that in our day and age today. In Second Timothy chapter 2, he speaks of the fact, in, or excuse me, chapter 4, in verses 2 and 3 there, he speaks of the fact that in the last days, there are going to be those that will turn away from the faith. They're going to look for teachers that are going to tell them what they want to hear. Not what they need to, to hear, but what they want to hear. Uh, and they, they will follow that, that direction there. And some of the scandals that we've seen in our church over the recent years have indicated that those problems are just as real today as they were in Jude's day and as they were in the Old Testament time as well. They also, the second thing that he reveals to us here is they show contempt for authority. Why would we expect that? Well, people today have a problem with that little word, pride. You ever struggle with that? You ever wrestle with that? Pride can creep into your life. You think you know better than than God himself. Uh, The word that he uses here uh, is reject. They reject uh, authority there. The word reject means to do away with something that has been established, to to turn your back on it. We're we're seeing that happen today in in a lot of different areas. We see it happen in our government and in our court system and so forth. They're rejecting the Constitution. They're they're, they're turning away from the original meaning of it. And what, what, what did it our founders mean when when they wrote that document they're they're retranslating it to say what they wanted to say today that's the word that jude would use here when, when he uses that word reject we see it when it comes to the word of god it, it saddens me to see how many of our leaders are rejecting the creation account they're saying it's a creation myth not a, not the word of god they're rejecting the very word of God. We see it in the rejection of the definition of marriage. What does God say? And did he really mean what he said? Or was that just cultural? I think it's the word of God. And if it's the word of God, we need to stand on it. We can't reject it. We can't turn away from it. Another area where we see that contempt for authority, that rejection coming is 
we, we have a man that wrote a book entitled Love Wins. And in it, he reveals that, guess what? Everybody's going to make it to heaven. doesn't matter what you believe. doesn't matter how you live. Uh, God's the God of love, so we're all going to make it. I don't think that's what the Bible says. Uh, John 14, 6 makes it very clear. No one comes to the Father, but what? By me. We, we come his way. I, I, I was saddened to read an article just a couple weeks ago uh, written by uh, about An- Andy Stanley. He, he's the, the, the son of Charles Stanley. He is now telling his church and his followers, don't put too much stock in the Old Testament stories. That uh, If they speak to you, that's fine. But if they don't, uh, he said, it's easier to write off the Old Testament than it is to try and explain how God did it. And, and we have a lot of people there today. We, we can't explain creation, so it, it's a creation myth. Uh, we're we're going to look at that after we finish the, the, the book of, of Judas. We move into Genesis of all places. But uh, they are rejecting not just the word of God, but they are rejecting the authority behind the word. It is a rejection of God himself there. And I think it's time for us to recognize that this Bible that we have is the word of God. And if we reject it, if we turn away from it, we have turned away from God himself. We have a contempt for authority if we reject his word. They also here speak blasphemy. The word revile means to speak a, a word of, of blasphemy here. And Jude uses the example here of Michael the archangel. And we have very little detail about what went on there. Uh, this is perhaps the only account in the Bible that we have of this. But if you recall, when it came time for Moses to die, he was 120 years of age. They were about to go into the promised land. The Lord had already told him, uh, Moses, you can't go in there. And so he called Moses up onto the mountain. And there Michael died, or Moses died. And do you remember what happened to his body? It was hidden. God saw to it that it was buried somewhere up on the mountain where you and I can't find it there. Evidently, there was a dispute over that between Michael the archangel and Satan. Satan wanted to get a hold of that body. Why would he want the body of Moses? Well, I think he could make a god out of it. He could make an idol out of it. I, I, I think today, of um, for years... Stalin laid in a glass coffin and, and, and thousands of people would come by every day to look at his body and to, in a sense, worship him. But can you think of the potential if you had Moses' body and you could do that with Moses' body? Uh, we have those that do it with so-called relics of the saints. Uh, I wonder how many pieces of the cross are out there in, in different churches are, are we worshiping idols? Are, are we? Do they become an area of worship for us there? It, it happened in the Old Testament. Remember when they were complaining and grumbling? Aren't you glad that nobody does that today? <laughs> we, we don't grumble and complain, do we? Uh, and the Lord sent fiery serpents amongst them, and they began to bite them. And what happened? You were bit, you died. There was no... No other, the, the only solution that they came up with, the Lord said, Moses, take a, a staff and a, make a bronze serpent, put it on the, the, uh, the pole, set it up there. And if you look at the serpent, 
you will live. It was a picture of the ministry of Christ. John chapter 3 uh, points out that it was a, a picture there of, of Jesus Christ. But you ever wonder whatever happened to that bronze serpent? It became an idol. They actually worshiped the serpent. It wasn't until years later, that four or 500 years later, when Hezekiah comes on the scene that he realized that people were worshiping that as an idol, and he ground it up into powder and threw it into the, the river. Had to get rid of it because it had become an object of worship there. Uh, as I think about that, I couldn't help but think also of Peter, James, and John. Remember they had that tremendous privilege of going up on the Mount of Transfiguration when Christ was transfigured before them. You remember the bright idea that Peter came up with? Let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Can you think of the financial potential that was there? People would come and, and hey, you could take an offering from them. You, th- th- this would be a gr- great thing to unite people together there. You remember what God said? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Don't fall into that trap of blasphemy. Don't fall into that trap of putting something up, even though it was something good, as more important than God. Listen to him. That is the challenge that he has for us today. Michael wisely deferred to the to God's power there. And and rather than bringing that railing judgment, he said. The Lord rebuke you. He turned him over to Satan there. I I think there's a a principle in that. Uh, Sometimes you ever tend to criticize somebody in leadership? We live in a day and age where that's popular, isn't it? Yeah. If you're in public office, you're to be criticized. I, I don't care what you do. Somebody's going to criticize it. In First Peter chapter five, or excuse me, First Timothy chapter five, he warns us about listening to criticism of a leader if there's only one person. He said, make sure there's two or three witnesses, or guess what? Be silent. Yeah, don't bring that accusation there. And and here, as mighty as Michael was, he didn't pronounce that judgment against Satan. He turned him over to God, and so. An apostate is somebody that's blind to those spiritual principles. They reject the truth. They choose to be, believe a lie, and the end result is they self-destruct. That leads us to the company here of the apostles, uh, of the apostates in, in verse 11. Jude turns to the Old Testament and brings up three examples of individuals that were apostates in the Old Testament. He speaks, first of all, in verse 11, of those who have gone the way of Cain. Now, what was the problem with Cain? We're familiar with the story of Cain and Abel. Remember, uh, they, they came and presented an offering before the Lord. Abel's was accepted. Cain's were rejected. And guess what? Cain got angry. Now, is there anything wrong with getting angry with your brother? No? Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother in your heart, it's the same as if you murdered him there. Uh, The problem that Cain had, though, was not that he killed his brother Abel. It was a much more serious issue than that. I think the problem that Cain had, and some of you can disagree with me on this if you want, uh, 
not going to change my viewpoint any. But uh, I think the real problem with Cain was not that he killed his brother, but that he rejected God's plan and purpose. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? Do you remember what God did for them? They dressed themselves in fig leaves, and God said, that's not sufficient. That will not cover your sin. There had to be a blood sacrifice. And so God made that first sacrifice, and and he brought the skins of the animals to them for, for clothing there, revealing the fact that there has to be that blood sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, we read in the New Testament, there is no remission of sin. And he made that very clear from the very beginning. And so when it came time for Cain and Abel to bring their sacrifices, Abel brought a lamb. How did he know to bring a lamb? I believe God gave them the pattern. He wouldn't have let them stumble along forever in the dark there. I believe God gave them his word and his pattern. Didn't give that to us because we're not living back in those days, but they knew what to offer and, and how to offer it. So Cain brought the the lamb, that the required sacrifice, or I mean Abel did. Cain brought the best of his crops. No blood involved. He, he brought the, the grain, the fruit, or whatever it was, but he ignored the fact that God said, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. He chose to do it his way. And God rejected that. If you recall, as you read the story, when the Lord confronts Cain, he said, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. He was dealing with a sin issue here. Not uh, there, there was nothing wrong with bringing the fruit and the grain and so forth if you're offering to God a thank offering. That was allowed in the Old Testament days. And, and they certainly were encouraged to do that. And, and I think today we have so much to thank the Lord for. We, we, can, we can bring a thank offering to, to the Lord either through our tithes or offerings or our shoe boxes or whatever it may be. We, we're simply saying thank you, Lord, for, for the blessings that, that you've given to us. But if it was, sin was crouching at the door there, it demanded a blood sacrifice. And Cain rejected that. Cain thought, I know better than God. God said I, uh, a blood sacrifice, but I, I, I'm going to bring the best that, that I have. You know what? If you pervert the doctrine of salvation, it has eternal consequences. Not only for you, but for those that that you would lead down the wrong path. I I think of somebody like uh, that book, Love Wins. How many people feel, I don't need Jesus Christ because love's going to win? Is that what God said? That's a false doctrine. You're, You're perverting the way of salvation. And Jude would say, don't go that path. The second example that he gives to us comes out of the book of Numbers chapter 22 through 25 and that's the error of Balaam here. If you recall the story the children of Israel have come around Edom, around Moab, they've entered into what became part of the promised land on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They have conquered that and the king of Moab, Balak, He's a little bit upset because 
his territory is right on the border of that. And are they going to come and are they going to take my land away? Are they going to fight against us? And so he comes up with a brilliant idea of hiring Balaam, a, a prophet that knew God or knew of God, to come and curse the, the children of Israel. And you remember the story that God said, okay, after the second or third time, God said, you can go, but you can only say what I tell you to say. And so Balaam went with that idea in mind. Uh, along the way, his uh, his donkey had better sense than he did, if, if you recall. Uh, uh, he brushed him against the wall. He eventually laid down, and Balaam was about ready to kill his donkey until God opened his eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing there with, with a sword in his hand. And, and again, he got, he got the message, you go and say what I want you to say. And so he did. And because of that, he lost the monetary reward that Balak had promised him. And uh, he, he, he was rejected for that. But then he came up with a bright idea. I know how I can get that reward. If I can get the children of Israel to sin, then God can no longer bless them. And, and so he counseled Balaam to invite the, the men to their love, so-called love feasts, to enter into the prostitution and all that went with that so that they would be corrupt. And then he could curse Israel and collect his money. That was the error of Balaam there. And uh, his motive very simply was money he wanted money and uh, in Matthew chapter 16 or Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 19 Jesus warns us don't lay up treasures on earth lay up treasures in heaven because uh, he goes on to say in verse 24 no one can serve two masters either he'll hate the one and love the other he said you can't serve God and materialism at the same time you, you've got to make a choice which, which God are you going to serve for Balaam it was money and he would sacrifice his principles for that. I recently read of one megachurch leader who was asking his congregation to give him enough money to buy his third jet. Third jet. Because there was a faster model out there than the ones that he had. And uh, he said, you can't expect me because my time is valuable. You can't expect me to travel like everybody else. That... Uh, I, I can't go on a commercial airline. Uh, I wonder if he got that from Al Gore, <laughs> that kind of thinking. Uh, he, he said, I need, the, I need the, the, the fastest one, the best one out there because my time is valuable. And I wonder how many people were sacrificing so he could live in luxury and how many people could have benefited from that money in other areas if he was just content to live like everybody else and travel like everybody else. It, it, it isn't that difficult. Uh, well, I, I shouldn't say that. If you travel by airplane, it can be difficult <laughs> at, at times, but uh, it, it can be done. Uh, no, no offense, Eric. <laughs> but, but flying can be, be a problem there. But uh, Peter warns those in authority in the church in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, don't do it for sorry gain. Don't get into it for money. You're in it to serve the Lord. You're, you're in it to, to please him. You're in it to, to glorify him. The, the third illustration is, is the rebellion of Korah. That comes out starting in Numbers chapter 16. Korah was a Levite. Uh, 
He had a tremendous privilege of being able to work in the temple. He had certain areas assigned to him and to his family there. But he envied Moses and Aaron uh, Aaron in their position there. He wanted their power. He wanted the the control of situations. So he grumbled and complained and said, you you don't have any right to, to lord it over us. And over 250 leaders joined with him in that rebellion against the Lord. If you recall the story, the Lord stepped in and uh, said, okay, uh, each one of you are to bring a, a rod, a staff, and we'll present it before the, the Lord. We'll put it in, the, in the, the temple or the tabernacle overnight, and the one that has the buds on it in the morning, that's the one that I have chosen to be the, the, the family through which the priests were, were to come. And, and if you recall, the next morning when they came in, they found... And I, I was thinking of that this week as I was working on Genesis chapter 1. You know, we struggle with, you ever have that proverbial question, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> and how, the people say, well, you know, it had to take hundreds of years for to develop all of the fruit trees and so forth that we have. And yet in one night, Aaron's rod not only budded, it had leaves and it had almonds on it as well. How did God put it all together overnight? I don't know. He just did it. Uh, can can he, he do that in creation? I believe he can as well. We'll, we'll get to that a couple in the new year here. But uh, God said, this is the one that I have chosen. And it's a serious matter to rebel against God's anointing. As a matter of fact, it cost Korah and his leaders their life as, as God stepped in and, and took their lives from them there. This was ultimately a rebellion not against Moses and not against Aaron. It was a rebellion against God because God is the one who had put them in that position. And, and we need to be careful in, in that area. These three illustrations represent much of what we face today. There are those today that are rejecting God's plan and purpose. They're saying it doesn't matter what you believe just as long as you believe. And God is saying redemption comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. Did you notice those two boys this morning? They got it right, didn't they? Yeah. The the red page stands for what? The blood of Jesus Christ. Is there salvation any other way? No, there's not. Those kids are learning from the an early age that it's God's plan and God is the one that has orchestrated that plan we dare not rebel against that we dare not turn away from that like Cain did and say it doesn't matter what you believe it does matter today we need to guard against the error of Balaam today do we serve because it pays or do we serve because we love him and we want to please him. What, what is the reason for our, our service today? Are, are we willing to, to give and even to sacrifice if that's what he calls? Because we love him. Because he did that for us. He went to the cross for us. He, he gave his very life for us. Can we do less than that for him? And then do we reject those that God places in authority over us? Do we grumble and complain against them? Do, do we, we turn away from them like Korah did and, and bring ourselves under the judgment of God? Do we recognize God is the ultimate 
authority. As you wrestle with those issues, what is it today that you base your decisions on? What is it that sets your priorities? Is it this world's values? Is it the desire for things or the desire for power or whatever it may be? Or is it the desire to please God? Are you living for him or are you living for something else? As we approach the Lord's table today, I think it's important for us to honestly search our hearts. Are we living for the glory of Jesus Christ? Or are we following some of these errors that have been there since the very beginning of time and, and are still with us today? And then as you wrestle with that, have you been listening to some that have gone apostate? Have you been following those that are teaching false doctrine, doctrine that is contrary to the word of God? It may sound good, but is it, is it true according to the word of God? I, I think of the, the little church in Berea. In Acts chapter 17, after being kicked out of Thessalonica, Paul went and took the gospel to Berea. And it said there that the men of Berea were more noble than those of Thessalonica. Why? Because when Paul preached, they searched the scriptures to see if what he said was true or false. I trust you do that today with those that you listen to. Is it consistent with the word of God? I trust you take what I say and go back to the word of God and say, hey, is, is Pastor Dan on or, or is he off base there? Don't, don't just say Pastor Dan said it. It's got to be true. No. Is it consistent with the word of God? Are we listening to him and what he has to say to us today? Or are we in danger of being an apostate? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you care enough about us to warn us of the dangers that are out there, dangers that have been there for a long time, and yet the enemy that we face is still very active and very real. We thank you that you've given us the safeguard of your word and help us to live it, to claim it, to apply it to our lives so that we are spared your judgment for being apostate. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine.